A person who thinks all the time has nothing to think about except thoughts. So he loses touch with reality and lives in a world of illusions. Where did you get this pure thought and impure thought business? Who are you to decide what is pure and impure? This is the way life is made. There's nothing pure, there's nothing impure. Life is just the way it is. It's for you. A culture that is obsessed with and prioritizes a separation from and control of natural human desire. Hello and welcome to season two of Impure Rethought. Um, I am excited to start off this season with our very first episode, uh, but before we do that, let's introduce our guest. <laughs> guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hello. Oh, I'm so excited to be doing this. Um, my name is Lauren Gutierrez-Brown. Um, I go way back with Victoria, perhaps too far back, but that's also what's bringing us together here today, so... <laughs> very true, very true. Uh, for some background for, for my lifelong listeners, and by lifelong I mean from last year, um, Lauren and I went to high school together for... When did you... You were there for the last two or three years of high school, and we were fast friends since like senior year at, and still are. So Lauren, would you like to give us a little, um, maybe just a little background on your relationship with the uh, evangelical church, shall we say? Yes. Oh my, let me keep this succinct. I, <laughs> I have grown up in the church or I did grow up in the church uh, my entire life. My parents are very much the typical um, evangelical conservative Christians, you know, believing in the nuclear family. They found their faith in their 30s right before they met and got married and decided that, you know, that was how they were going to raise their family. And so they also, remember this is in the 90s. So yeah, I feel like I have to reveal my age just for context, unfortunately. I was born in early 1995. They wanted to kind of put their evangelicalism into action by also homeschooling me and my brother and my sister. I was homeschooled the entire way from kindergarten up until uh, junior year, which is where I transferred to the same private Christian high school as Victoria. There's a lot of education and family and growing up in, I would say, primarily Baptist churches, although we considered ourselves non-denominational, but you know, just the the easy to consume and palpable um, kind of churches that generally aligned with right-wing politics and California conservative vibes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and so uh, the reason that I have invited Lauren on for our topic today, our first topic of season two is actually homeschooling. So I, obviously, Lauren and I have talked about this many, many, many times in just our regular lives. And I know we both, we both have some hot, hot takes. Um, I also forgot to say, Impurity Thought, by the way, is podcast where we talk about how purity, patriarchy, and profit shape our culture. 
And um, yeah, so that is a really good segue into our episode today, actually. So um, Lauren, would you like to tell me your general thoughts, vibes, feelings about homeschooling? It doesn't have to necessarily be about your experience, because I'm sure we will talk about that. But yeah, general impressions. There's a few different kinds of homeschoolers I've observed coming out of. Now, remember, I'm only an expert on homeschoolers coming, you know, from the 90s, the late 90s. Um, I'm sure the landscape Mm -hmm. and, you know, narrative has changed a lot, especially since COVID and all that. So Mm -hmm. I'm only talking about, about, yeah, my experience as a 95 baby where the homeschool movement was kind of taking off in a very specific way, um, specifically for the category that I was in, which is being homeschooled for religious reasons. But there were others, you know, there were, I would also say, students that I interacted with in various homeschool programs who were either there because this, the school system uh, was too slow for them. They were very advanced students. They were just precocious and in academia or traditional school system failed them in that they had special needs or learning disabilities. Um, So that's kind of the three categories. You're either too smart, too slow, or really religious. So I fell under averagely smart and very religious. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) My experience with homeschooling was that, so I've mentioned this before, I went to the same school uh, from when I was in kindergarten through seventh grade, and then the school went out of business, so I went to this Christian school that where I met Lauren for eighth grade, and I did not want to go to that Christian school. I was also supposed to skip a couple of grades, and I was held back to be around kids my own age, and my best friend at my, my previous school that I'd come out of was did go to homeschool and was able to graduate quite quickly and um, generally have like a good education, not religiously. And I was so jealous of him. And I remember begging my mom to be homeschooled. I did not want to be around other kids socially. I wanted to work at my own pace. I was like, what is this stupid school? I hate it here. (laughs) And it was quite far away, so I had to get up early. Um, But of course, I had sisters, so we all had to go to the same school, basically. And both my parents were working. Mm. So I think that's quite interesting. I, before going to Monta Vista, had no real religious context. And I didn't really know that homeschooling was a thing that religious people did, like, specifically because they were religious. I thought that you were either just really smart or, like, like, couldn't hack it in a school. Um, but, of course, my world was very small. <laughs> and I and then at Monta Vista, I, I met some people who had perhaps been homeschooled for, like, elementary mm-hmm. or middle school and then came to high school. And I was like, wow, what a weird, weird, strange world. Shall we get into the research? Yes, please. Okay. So um, you brought this up, and I wanted to start off here because I think it's very interesting. Obviously, we had a big shakeup pretty recently when it came to schooling, which was the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. So the U.S. Census Bureau in 2021 reported that between the spring of 2020 and the beginning of the new school year later that fall, the number of homeschooling families doubled to 11.1% of all U.S. households. 
And among black families, the share increased by five times from 3.3% in the spring to 16.1% in the fall. I don't have statistics for 2023 because I don't think that they've released this data yet. Or if they have, then I couldn't find it. But I thought this was really interesting. And a lot of people who have put their kids in homeschool or have decided to homeschool their children actually decided not to go back to school. And this comes at a time, I think, where we have a lot of anxiety around school with the increased prevalence of school shootings and publicity of them and the pandemic still going on. People, I feel like, are very anxious about their children and about school right now. Um, so I wanted to start start off with that statistic. Do you have any thoughts? Luckily, my education was long finished by the time COVID hit, um, mm -hmm. which I am so grateful for. I had, I graduated college in 2018. I was well out of the way. I was working. I feel for everyone who was trying to finish up degrees. It was, it was a tough time. But my mm -hmm. job went remote, like many of ours did. And I have never gone back. So mm. I can only imagine that compounded, you know, by the anxiety of being a parent and wanting to keep your kids safe. You know, schools are kind of a gross place germ wise to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then you have a pandemic and then like you referenced gun shootings. Um, just man, I, I resonate with that. And it just, it feels, I mean, it, I'm sure it comes with its own trauma. We'll have, you'll have to interview those kids when they get older. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I want, right. actually, I would love to sit down with those kids like a few years from now and like spare experiences because mine is a totally different context. Homeschooling is, is clearly a viable and sometimes very necessary option. And I think we're seeing that mm -hmm. evolve um, in a way we never could have imagined. But, um, it's also so different from my experience because mm -hmm. the context is just, I mean, it's out of sheer need instead of, you know, for my, my parents, it was more of a, a moral, spiritual obligation. Perhaps they did see it as safeguarding my spiritual safety. You know, I, I recognize that parents want to keep their kids <laughs> safe. And, you know, I've never really discussed this with my parents. <laughs> But, you know, perhaps, yeah, you know, I'll, if I'm feeling generous, perhaps they did it for my spiritual safety. Well, you know, um, putting kids in classes where uh, people talk about Spongebob is really, that's a big threat to you. Oh, Spongebob was so off the table. Oh my god, okay, this is a random, this is a random aside, but Duncan and I, we were folding laundry a couple weeks ago, and... <laughs> and we were like let's put on an episode of spongebob and he, i was like flipping through looking for an episode and he goes he goes not that one this show didn't really find its footing until season two spongebob right now <sighs> anyways as somebody who was not allowed to watch spongebob as a child um i actually feel like yeah i am the person who suffered the most that was my cross to bear in school yes yes <laughs> for anyone listening to this who's like we're really being over dramatic like my homeschool experience had a lot of positives and negatives but one of the biggest negatives to me is the loss of social currency with my peers and mm. Um, I'm sorry if I'm like going on a tangent, I'll keep it brief, but like no, no, you're fine. the SpongeBob reference 
although humorous and perhaps dramatic, really does illustrate um, when you're a child, you want to be like everybody else, truly, and Mm -hmm. be able to relate. And for a child, not having the same experiences, um, uh, consuming media is just one way. Um, mm-hmm. But if you don't partake in enough um, social currency things, th- then you're kind of left out or you're considered weird or, you know, whatever way a child would describe othering. And so it's very mm-hmm. othering to be um, deprived of the, the social currency that kids are getting in mainstream school system or, you know, in, in other places. So, yeah, <laughs> cross to bear. I mean, to this day, I am 28 years old. People still tease me for not knowing a single episode of SpongeBob. Like, I, <laughs> I have no idea why this keeps coming up in my life. I mean, it's well, okay. Not to, we we love tangents on this podcast, but yeah, this is the last thing I'll say about SpongeBob. <laughs> SpongeBob is still on, which I recently discovered. Like they're no still way. making new episodes. Yeah, I didn't know it's, that. It's still on. Yeah, I was very surprised. But like the old ones have been replayed so much that it's like some it's like something that lots of generations understand. Like I would say I've quoted SpongeBob. I'm at the point now where I've had to I've had to accept that I am no longer the youth TM. Yes. Like I'm a young person, but I am no longer a youth. Mm. But I, but I have quoted SpongeBob to the youths and they have quoted it right back at me. And so it's like it's like something that uh, I think it's a common um, cultural thing that lots of us, lots of us have in common, be just because it's been on for so long, like mm-hmm. the way that a lot of people know like really famous SNL bits that like weren't mm-hmm. even on when we were alive. Anyways, okay, back to the yeah. topic. <laughs> I'm gonna take you through a brief history of public schooling in the United States. So mm. before the mid 1800s. How would you guess that children were educa- educated? In the 1800s. I mean, I'm kind of thinking like little schoolhouse, sitch, multi, multi-grade classrooms. Am I on the right track? Um, no. <laughs> they were mostly okay. educated at home by parents really? or by tutors. Yeah. So by the mid-1800s, specifically between 1850 and 1970s, or 1970, not that many people educated their children at home. So it was around 1850 Mm. is when compulsory formal education emerged in the U.S. Um, The first, like, compulsory schooling law was actually by the Puritans in 1692. But it wasn't, uh, of course, that was the Puritans, love them, hate them. That was not bright like uh oh i said 1692 i meant 1642 in the massachusetts bay colony the the puritans really valued education as a moral and social obligation so by 1918 all states had passed school attendance legislation but until the 1930s the those were like extremely loosely enforced so you could technically be like need to be in school and then not be in school as the population increased in the early 20th century, um, the demand for well-trained labor grew. So it became more important that children were in school because they were learning to do things that they used to work. In the mid-1960s and the early 1970s, 
people began to get a little dissatisfied with the public school system, so homeschooling began to, began to catch on. Um, the source that I read broke this down into five phases, which I'm going to briefly walk us through. The first phase is contention in the early 1970s, where homeschooling was illegal in most states and was considered strange. Education reformers had concerns um, about regulation and about children not being in school. Confrontation began in the 1970s, is the next phase, and peaked at the end of the decade. So in 1972, there was a big Supreme Court case, uh, Wisconsin versus Yoder, uh, which granted Amish parent, Amish parent, I feel like I just said almond parents, Amish parents, the people with the horses and the churning butter, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> they granted their parents the right to educate their children at home, but only after eighth grade. Uh, the decision qualified that the parental interest must be religious in nature rather than philosophical or personal. After the Supreme Court case, a bunch of state-level court cases happened um, that addressed, like, a number of different issues related to home home education. When would you guess that homeschooling became legal in all 50 states? I'm going to guess, what, the 80s? You're actually pretty close. It was 1993. Okay, yeah. I knew it was pretty close, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So... The next phase, then, is cooperation, which um, starts roughly around 1985. Approximately 200,000 families are homeschooling their children at this point. It's a really small number compared to the uh, general population. Consolidation happens in the 1990s. Uh, Homeschooler networks start to get set Mm -hmm. up, and homeschooling lobbies are formed, which is quite important. Mm -hmm. Compartmentalization is the final stage in the early 90s. As homeschooling became more widely accepted, the homeschooling movement no longer had to like present themselves as a united front against other educators. The homeschooling networks were mostly families who are motivated by religious beliefs, by pedagogical ideals, by a desire to foster close family relationships, and by a host of other over other overlapping reasons. Oh my god, I can't speak today. Mm. Um, I'm quoting uh, the my source directly here, which will be in the show notes, by the way. Another reason motivating some families, the desire among families of color, especially black families, to protect their children from pervasive racism in the educational mm. setting. Okay, so there's my history for you, and now I'm going to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. What is the purpose of school? This is not a question that has an answer. I just want to know. I did Google this, mm-hmm. and I got a lot of conflicting answers. Um, so I just want to know your opinion. Definitely a basis of basic knowledge about how the world works. And mm-hmm. I think there's also very much a component of how you're expected to function in society. You know, there's your academics, mm-hmm. but it's also... Learning to learn is also part of it. So yeah, I Mm. I would say broadly speaking, off the top of my head, it would be how the world works around you and and how to navigate yourself as a being in it. Yeah, I think I would agree with that definition. I think school uh, exposes you to a lot of things that you will need to encounter in real life. I thought it was an interesting question, especially considering truly how little time education has been compulsory Mm -hmm. 
I my dad is only about the United States, but I think it's a similar thing in a lot of European countries. So that was a uh, a question that I wanted to pose. So let's move to the next point. Is there oversight in homeschool? This differs by state. So California, which is where we are from, does not have a homeschooling law. Parents homeschool their students under the rules for private schools, independent study, or private tutoring. There is absolutely no federal oversight of homeschooling. It's completely state regulated. And no visits or inspections are required depending on the state. I believe Massachusetts has pretty strict homeschool laws, but California definitely doesn't. So, Lauren, here I'm going to ask you for your personal input. What? How do you feel about this? It was interesting because coming into this at the time of the, you know, the 90s, and it's interesting, I appreciated you giving me kind of the backstory leading up to the 90s because I never really bothered to look back before I existed on the matter. <laughs> so, well, that's the most yeah. important event of yeah. ever, obviously. <laughs> so thank you for the context. My parents were very concerned about being seen as legitimate in mm. their efforts to school me. And there there were other homeschoolers I knew who were completely unaffiliated. And, you know, I I kind of have mixed mixed feelings, probably ending up to neutral about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, I know relatives, I have relatives who did a particular kind of homeschooling that they was branded as unschooling, which is a whole mm-hmm. other fringe thing. I have thing. a whole section about that coming up. <laughs> I have relatives who went that direction. Um, although I'm, I can't recall if it was all in the state of California, to be fair. Mm-hmm. So well, don't worry, because a lot of other states do a lot worse than California. <laughs> so, okay. My parents were, um, we always had an affiliation with an actual brick and mortar private school. We also were, I don't know if it was like a member or whatever. There, were, there was an organization called the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. I have no idea if it still exists. Mm. A lot of, you know, resources in general from religious organizations that provided some sort of legitimacy to what we were doing. But but the affiliation that we always had with brick and mortar schools did provide um, the opportunity for me to attend standardized testing. Mm. Um, And so that was, I mean, standardized testing, again, is a whole nother thing (laughs) um, on education as a whole. Um, But that was seen as a way to at least, you know, benchmark my academic progress. Mm -hmm. So I think my parents were very conscious about seeing as above board, legit, um, and not too fringe, which I I think I appreciate. I would probably have the same anxieties, but there was definitely some homeschoolers that um, were more on the fringe and completely independent. And I... I don't want to say too much, but my observation as those individuals has have grown up, I would not say that they are um, the most functioning members of, members of society that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But my sample size is small, to be fair. Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm I'm curious. Do you feel like your standard of education was the same or better than you would have gotten in public school? Oh, that's so hard. Or private school, I guess. 
I'm I'm also asking this because you did have the experience of going from homeschool to a real school. Not that homeschool is not a real. Yes. Well, okay. This is what the whole episode is well, about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. you you and our our high school was quite academically rigorous because it was a college prep school. So I'm I'm just curious about your experience with that. Yeah, and I didn't attend a public institution until I hit uh, junior college. Me either. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, which, um, I, I, I'm not really qualified to speak to, you know, the quality of a public education in the elementary mm-hmm. through high school levels. Um, mm-hmm. well, I think that's like wildly dependent yeah. on the state that you live in <laughs> and, and even, even and even the, yeah, <laughs> like even the county. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I don't think a lot they, of people... They taught us some wild shit at Bonavista. Yeah, let me say. wild shit. But yes, I would actually say the quality of education at our private school was definitely better than what I was getting through the homeschool curriculum. Yeah, especially in the more controversial, which shouldn't be controversial, but controversial <laughs> subjects like science. <laughs> um... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my god i know i know i know uh, i've had such a weird life um i i would think yes um mama vista you know they had they had something yeah. to prove they wanted you know their students to go to actual mm-hmm. universities and colleges and you know all that so that um image they had to uphold forced them to actually yeah. teach us real science um <laughs> But you know, in the younger grades, they did. You know, they did teach me the Earth was four thousand years old, though. They oh, definitely okay. did that. So they did a hybrid approach to creation. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I still had to dissect stuff, but definitely there was a young Earth creationism vibe happening. Got it. Okay. Um, I actually think you know, in the younger grades, I probably thrived. I would. I would assume without very with with very little evidence that up until up up through probably fourth grade, mm-hmm. so K through four, I you know, my mom probably mm. did a kick ass job, you know, and being one on one and I'm already an independent sort of person, I'm sure I was getting a better education than probably my peers in public school or otherwise. But, you know, as the academics grew more difficult and beyond you know, what my mom's mm-hmm. ability, which is totally understandable, then I think my academic um, quality definitely decreased. Mm. How about the social aspect? The social aspect was another thing my parents were very self-conscious about, and they made a very significant effort to put me mm. into a lot of extracurriculars, which mostly offsets um you know, nothing really replaces the um, interaction or experience, good or bad, of having to deal mm-hmm. with the same peers mm-hmm. five days a week. Um, but I, it did give me freedom to do things like swimming lessons, um, piano mm-hmm. lessons, violin lessons, uh, sports, uh, 4-H, for those who know what that is. Can you explain what 4-H is for those who don't know what it is? <laughs> um, it's it's a uh, youth program run through the county system that primarily focuses on agricultural um, yeah. education. 
Um, for example, I raised sheep and goats for a while, but it, it also um, could be science-based if you live in a more mm-hmm. uh, metropolitan area. But yeah, anyway, it's a it's an enrichment program for youths. <laughs> for tiny little, for tiny farmers. Yeah, but I mean, I so I did have social life. I mean, that was always the, the first question I ever got asked, like, oh, do you get to socialize? Do you have friends? I did, although... It was a little bit difficult because I wasn't getting the five-day-a-week exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just took a little bit more effort. I think it really the the constant need for social interaction on a more intense level didn't really become a problem until high school, which is why I begged to go to Monta Vista. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unlike you, I, I was desperate to go to Monta Vista because that seemed like my way out of the home. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, I mean, teens, I mean, God, teens are just messy little creatures that need, you know, so true. other messy creatures around them as a mirror so we can learn about who the hell we are. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I have mixed feelings, but I think my parents did the best that they could. But once I was a teen, my social needs were really, really um, at the forefront. Yeah, to be fair, I didn't have a fun time socially in high school but i'm not sure that being homeschooled would have been better for me mm. i think maybe being at a different school would have been better for me wow mm-hmm. dimitri is very angry about being locked up in <laughs> my bedroom right now but it's fine um but i i don't i'm not sure that i really really could have escaped high school you know without mm-hmm. any scars that's just what being a teenager does like. anyone like actually, yeah. no actually i have a hand small small handful of friends that were like high school was great i you know i did the quarterback like you know like what i'm like hell? i i love them cannot but, relate yeah but it's like the most unrelatable that i've ever felt and yeah I, those people in my opinion are out out you know What's the word I'm looking for? Outliers. Thank you. Yeah, true. (laughs) True. Okay, so let's move on to the advantages and the disadvantages of homeschooling. So these are some oft-cited advantages of homeschooling. Um, You get more one-on-one time with your children. They've actually found very little academic difference between public and homeschooled kids when they take the same standardized tests or comparing grades, things like that. It's not that uh, different. There's more flexibility on what you can study and when, more family time, uh, more time to be involved in the community. Um, There are social, mental, and physical health perks. Homeschooled children report significantly lower levels of depression than children in public schools. It accommodates for special situations like children with medical issues or learning disabilities. Parents feel good about having more control. They have less concern about their children developing social issues like drug addiction. Um, And then the reasons that people cite for homeschooling in the U.S. is about 36% of people are concerned about religious um, ideals. About 21% of people are concerned about the environment of other schools. And about 17% are dissatisfied with academic instruction at public schools. Hmm. How do you feel about these advantages? Yeah, I agree. There are some very significant advantages i would agree 
I think I saw that even play out within my own family. So I have a brother mm. and a sister. My brother was homeschooled um, up through eighth grade, and then he went to public school for all of high school. Um, mm-hmm. And then my sister was in and out. She mostly did public school through her younger years, um, and then a little bit of public high school, but she's also um, developmentally disabled. So mm-hmm. um, in the end, bringing her back to homeschooling was actually the best fit for her. And I'm really grateful for her sake that my mom was already like primed for that and willing. Yeah. Um, I think that was absolutely best case scenario for my sister and her development and um, her um, ease of just, you know, being mm-hmm. a differently abled person. So, yeah. And, you know, the flexibility of time, the independence, I mean, I... Um, I often did my homework, you know, early, got it out of the way. My mom would be like, well, if you do, you know, this amount of work, then you can, you, you take the time to do it in as a little, as long time as you want. And then you can go play. I'm like, hell yeah. Like I'm going to do all my homework. Um, so, you know, there were, there were benefits. Yeah. I always remember over our summer breaks, my mom always made us do these like stupid math and English workbooks so that we didn't like forget what we learned. (laughs) And I was thinking about this the other day. They were so annoying. I was like, can you just let me not be in school? And because I was somebody who was reading all the time, like, oh, I was just like, (laughs) please let me play Neopets and go to the beach yeah. Anyways, just I'm trying to level up on RuneScape, mom. <laughs> um, I this is really interesting to me. I have another friend who was homeschooled and like th- thinks that it was one of the worst things that has ever happened to him. So mm. I'm, I am, um, because he just had very little oversight and played video games all day. Um, and I think like. I'm really, this is such an interesting topic because uh, to be clear, my personal opinion is I don't think homeschooling is good or bad. I think that there are lots of different factors that need to be considered. And I'm in a research group at my school right now where we're, what we're literally um, doing research on is people's, like the way that people conceptualize learning and the way that um, people think about learning and like for our research it's a university because that's where we are Mm -hmm. but like it's really interesting to think about how people think about school um which has changed very rapidly which we will get into in a second Mm -hmm. but anyway sorry for the little uh diatribe now here are some commonly cited disadvantages of homeschooling lack of real life socialization a there the diverse curriculum and uh, and pacing in a real school can be more um, suitable to certain children. This is the one that I think is most interesting. Concerns for resources and facilities. So how much can parents actually do, especially parents who aren't necessarily trained in education um, for higher levels? Mm-hmm. Community homeschooling, which is homeschooling where you uh, have like supplemental, like you might have a class with a couple of kids or you might share resources or somebody teaches one class, blah, blah, blah. You're sharing things, basically. That costs money. Materials cost money. And time also costs money in a way because if you have one parent who is full-time educating your child, then they probably aren't working. Um, Which also leads me into the last point, which is that 
there's a big load on parents for homeschooling. Um, it's usually in homeschooling, it is the parent homeschooling the child. So occasionally it might be a sibling or something like that, but usually the parent. And sometimes that is not always a realistic. That's why I couldn't be homeschooled. It would have been too much of a load on my parents. There are there are quite a few downsides. I think if I were to oversimplify, I would say my homeschooling has been more negative than positive for me. Just the the lack of structure overall is a little tough. Um, mm-hmm. or separation, you know, like the average kid, you know, okay, you have a bad day at school, either your friends were mean to you or your teacher was harsh on you or you failed a test, you know, hopefully you get to come home and you're in a, a completely different space. Um, mm-hmm. your parents had nothing to do with your day at school. Hopefully they're supportive or, you know, comforting, maybe even indifferent at at worst is fine because they, you know, they're just giving you your space. But the problem is, you know, when in my homeschool experience, if I got in trouble, quote, at school, I was also in trouble Mm -hmm. at home. Like it was the same Mm -hmm. thing. You know, if mom, if teacher and my, my parents actually were like, your mom is your teacher and dad is the principal. Like they, they actually like assigned those roles, like very directly. Um, And they were like, you know, so if, the teacher and the principal found fault in me that day, then that means both my parents found fault in me that day. So it was just very intense. And, you know, you don't mm. get to step out of that emotional situation. Um, yeah. Which doesn't give you, it doesn't teach you uh, how to process things on your own time and give you space from conflict or failure. And that, that was a big problem for me. Um some of the, as I got older, sometimes I would go to like enrichment classes, which were t- taught kind of what you alluded to, um, like the collaborative. There were other other parents um, who would teach like a history class or um, I think mm-hmm. English class I took um, and other homeschoolers, you know, a handful of us would attend that class once or twice a week. So it almost felt like more of a, a university type format where you'd go mm-hmm. to the lecture a few, a couple times a week, and then you would have your homework. And those I loved. That structure was just mm. enough, I felt, felt like, to keep me on track. It was a fresh source of information that wasn't my mother or um, the curriculum. That was another thing, actually. The curriculum that came out that we used, I don't know what the non-religious mm. kids did, honestly. I have no idea. But... The religious-based curriculum that we used was very much, you know, independent learning driven, which eventually kind of gave my mom a license to just kind of stop paying attention. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I and then suddenly I felt responsible for all of my own learning. Like I had to teach myself, I had to review my own work, and then I somehow ended up like grading my own work. So it became, oh. yeah, it became like a huge burden at some point where I probably over-identified with the responsibility, but that mm-hmm. that's just the kid that I was, a little too precocious for my own good. Um, so the, the pressure felt really, really tough without mm-hmm. um, other structure or input. Mm. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Something I was thinking about when I was doing this research as well is that parents like having control. And for um, 
we kind of know that people that come out of extremely religious environments, that control is not always a good thing. It can often be used for abuse. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. There's a book by Tara Westover, Educated, and that is, that's such a good book. And I recommend it to anybody who's interested in this topic. She was unschooled, which we're going to talk about Woo! in like one second. Um, it's such a good book. But I think about it all the time, about how school is often a place where um, children who have trouble at home can tell somebody that they're having trouble at home, like a trusted teacher mm-hmm. or, um, you know, a friend who will tell somebody else who there's it's it's a place where you have access to adults who are not your parents. Exactly. And it's probably a place that most people have their first access to adult that they're not related to. So that was just a, a point that I was thinking about. Um, so. I've talked mostly about the data about homeschool versus public school. So I want to take a second to talk about homeschool versus private school. Mm-hmm. So homeschooled children and public schooled children um, meet like match pretty well academically. Homeschool children report like way higher, uh, way lower levels of depression. Their levels of self-esteem don't significantly differ. And homeschooled students do very slightly better than public students academically and they also tend to rate their entire educational experience more positively so how does that uh pair up to private school private schools outperform public school students on tests and college entry which i think we can kind of figure out Mm -hmm. um there's a researcher whose last name is pianta who led a study published in 2018 um, that examined these outcomes in academic social psychological and attainment spheres and this is gonna come as a shock to you lauren but he said that student success is actually not that correlated with whether you go to a public private or homeschool it's more directly related to family attributes (laughs) such as having college-educated parents and higher incomes than which school you attend. Shocking. Um, I know, right? Who, who could have seen that one coming? Mm-hmm. There is one um, advantage of private schools, which is that class sizes are usually smaller, which means that people get more individual attention. I know in my private school where I was, uh, where I went for elementary school, I think the largest class size I ever had was 12 people. Um, but it was usually, it was like six to 10 and that was great for me. I loved that. Um, however, it costs a lot of money. So the average annual tuition for private K through 12 schools was $12,350 as of August, 2022, I believe. But tuition can vary by locale. So in Connecticut, which is full of rich people, um, in some places and full of very poor people in others, the average annual cost of tuition is $23,980. That's almost double the national average. And in Wisconsin, the average annual cost is $3,550, which is less than one third the national average. So again, this is a place where we come back to a lot of state differences. The Noticeable difference between public and private schools is that public schools are required by law to provide access to Quote, a free, appropriate public education to eligible children with disabilities throughout the nation and ensure special education and related services to those children, unquote. The U.S. Department of Education said that 7.5 million children were receiving services in public schools as of the 2018 to 2019 school years. 
However, private schools are not regulated at all, so they don't have to do that. Some private schools specialize in learning needs, but quite a lot of them don't. Ours definitely didn't. Mm -hmm. And so that is one noticeable difference. So when you compare all three, private schools perform better, but it probably has something to do with the kind of people that can afford private Mm -hmm. school in the first place. We're wrapping up here, but I did want to take a minute to talk about unschooling. So you briefly mentioned it. And what, what would you say that unschooling is? Uh, from what I understand from my relatives is that the premise was that the child will pursue the things that they need to learn on their own with very little input or very little structure. And I'm not, I'm not sure exactly like if there is any unit of measurement for unschooling. Um, but it mm-hmm. seemed to focus a lot on discovery, um, mm-hmm. and s- the self-determined, um, interests, uh, uh, areas of interest, which, I mean, probably has its, uh, I mean, you're about to tell me, but I, I would imagine, like, <laughs> if, if my parents sat me down and be like, pick a subject, I would hyper fixate on something and probably become <laughs> the biggest expert on it. But then, you know, if I knew me back then, I would have also, like, never touched a math book in my life. And that would have definitely mm-hmm. been to my detriment as an adult. So. Yeah. 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 So that's that's actually a pretty good definition. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is, this is like, the official one that I found. Um, I think it's from Wikipedia. <laughs> Could be wrong. The, the scholarly source, mm-hmm. Wikipedia. Unschooling is an educational philosophy that relies on a child's innate curiosity and desire to learn. Mm. In families that practice unschooling, students do not attend school and do not follow any set homeschool curriculum. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It kind of blows my mind that this is legal. Like, even though I just told you a whole thing about how schooling hasn't, compulsory schooling hasn't existed for that long. It's, this is kind of shocking to me. I get that they can't send uh, people out to personally oversee everybody's education or whatever, but this, yeah, feels like it shouldn't be allowed somehow to me, because I I also agree with you. I was a person who thought that I was only interested in one thing, and as I've been back in school now, the first class I had to take at my community college was statistics, and I was so scared of it mm-hmm. that I hadn't taken math in a long time. And then I was like, oh, actually, this is quite easy, and I use it all the time every day for my job. This is something I use statistics all the time in real life. Mm-hmm. And um, there's actually not that much math involved in it. But then also, I, I sew clothes, and I have to use geometry, which is my least favorite subject, right? <laughs> but I have to use it all the time. And so, and a couple of times, I've had to calculate a radius, and I've been like, wow, I'm glad that I know how to do this, <laughs> even though I would not have ever thought of it that way yeah. before. I use a lot of basic algebra, so mm-hmm. I wish I could go back in time and like give my my younger self a hug and be like I promise some of this is worth it (laughs) yeah some of it don't speak to me about a parabola I don't want to know I never want to hear her name again but (laughs) who is she (laughs) (laughs) my enemy so 
unschooling finds its roots in the philosophy of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Do you remember or know this name, actually? No idea. Yeah, so we definitely talked about him in high school history. I don't remember why, but we for (laughs) sure did. I don't think we were in the same class, but I believe we had the same teacher. He was a philosopher, uh, like Enlightenment era philosopher. A lot of his ideas are baked into um, like Western society. And he wrote a book called Emile, which was published in 1763. Um, Emile details the education of a young boy and his tutor to illustrate how an ideal man might be educated to be good in a corrupt society. This is kind of the first example ever of somebody kind of being unschooled. Hmm. How do you think the people felt about this book? Probably pretty uh, controversial for its time. I'll remind you that this was at a time way before compulsory schooling existed. Oh, yeah. So was it was it widely accepted? Was that was that a palpable concept? No, they hated it. So due to a section, due to a section of the book, well, some people hated it. And we're going to talk about it right now. There's a section of this book entitled Profession of Faith of the Savoyard Vicar. And it was actually banned. This book was banned in Paris and Geneva and publicly burned in um, the year of its first publication (laughs) because people found this so controversial. However, during the French Revolution, Emile served as the inspiration for a national system of education. Voltaire hmm. specifically hated it. He called it so... He, this is so funny to me. I love when Voltaire hates stuff because he delivers mm-hmm. some sick burns. He called it a hodgepodge of a silly wet nurse in four volumes with 40 pages against Christianity, among the boldest ever known. He says as many hurtful things against the philosophers as against Jesus Christ, but the philosophers will be more indulgent than the priests. However, he did like the profession of faith section that everybody else hated, and he called it 50 good pages. It is regrettable that they should have been written by such a knave. (gasps) A knave. I want to go around calling people knaves again. You you should. Can we bring bring it back? back? We gotta bring it back. Okay. I called somebody a scoundrel the other day, and it felt really good. Rousseau's ideas of education, which were... That basically education serves to make a uh, a man, of course, of course it's a man, mm-hmm. into the ideal citizen. Um, and that this was a very specific way of education that was laid out in Emile. Um, and it was critical of kind of traditional schooling. Have had a lot of influence specifically on the unschooling community. I found somebody's like philosophy dissertation or something uh, where they were using Rousseau's philosophy to talk about unschooling and argue that it's a good thing. Hmm. Um, and I just want to read a quote from this paper. And I don't remember the author's names, but it is. It's all in the show notes. I know that these people... I know that these people are going crazy on communist Twitter. I just know it in my heart. But they said, 
They then argue that to the extent that traditional schooling is a project of massification, increasingly dominated by a neoliberal ethos in our contemporary times, as opposed to emancipation, unschooling should be seen as its antithesis, providing an option for parents seeking a truly democratic education. So to round out our episode here, I just wanted to get your... Um, I wanted to present an alternate opinion um, that I think has become quite popular as people become disillusioned with capitalism, Mm -hmm. um, that that school is the first kind of site of capitalism. It's like literally free childcare here. It's uh, it mirrors the eight hour workday for no reason. This is an aside, but I live in a neighborhood that has a lot of schools in it, like Mm -hmm. both universities and for some reason, a lot of junior high schools. And every time I leave my house at 3 p.m., I forget that children leave school Mm -hmm. at 3 p.m. And I'm always like, why are there so many children around? And they're so loud. They're so loud. Why are junior hires so loud? (laughs) We must scream. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um... So I wanted to present that opinion. I personally still don't think unschooling is a good thing, but I can see where people are coming from. I was quite surprised, actually, to find out that compulsory schooling is as young as it is. And yeah, yeah I wanted to talk about this uh, this standpoint before we wrap it up. The first thought is, I mean, I, mm-hmm. am, I am by no means um, in highly educated in you know early childhood development however (laughs) i was once a child (laughs) um former child former child speaking lauren gutierrez brown (laughs) former child um and you know um especially because i've had such a unique um academic background and i've moved through homeschooling Mm -hmm. to private school to then public college education mm-hmm. um you know children need structure that's mm-hmm. that's part of learning to be a human is you you have parameters set um perhaps uh for those like ourselves that might hyper fixate on one thing for weeks or months on end like we would never be the somewhat well-rounded people that we are today you know like there's there's rules and structure for a reason you know we do this now and we do this I mean like little kids are told all the time like time to take a nap and they throw a fit and now I wish someone would stop me from working all night and tell me to take a nap I wish we had nap time (laughs) are you kidding me yeah um, I deserve nap time structured into my work day absolutely um that's yeah that's the revolution I'm about but you know structure is necessary for childhood Mm -hmm. development and I don't think many people would find issue with that take um but perhaps you know there's room for more independent study in some areas um perhaps for children who have um more of an independent learning streak um I would consider Mm -hmm. myself one of those kids um and yeah as far as you know the school mirroring a nine to five um yeah I mean I'm not sure if the way our traditional school system is set up schedule wise is really conducive to learning. Like I remember when I went to our high school for the first time. Okay. First of all, anecdote for your listeners to laugh at me. Um, (laughs) my first day at Monta Vista, I, I was 
a junior, my first class mm-hmm. was over and the teacher's like, all right, you know, about to wrap up and the bell goes off and people got up and I was like, what's the bell for? Why is everyone getting up and leaving? <laughs> like, I'm so, I was like 16, 17 years old and I was genuinely confused what the hell the bell was for. Like, that's so funny. I, yeah. I mean, it's just, it was foreign to me. I, I've never had to do that. And so, man, I hope that no one noticed my complete look of bewilderment. But, you know. That is so that, funny. Well, I'm glad you figured it yeah, out. Yeah, eventually I did. Um, but, yeah, I think structure is important in, in your early childhood development. And adults crave less structure. I mean, I work from home now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, if someone was like looking over my shoulder all day saying time to take a break time to do this time to you know I'd be like ah leave me alone yeah. like <laughs> yeah I don't this is not a fact so don't quote me on okay. this this is this is a this is pure conjecture from me but I wonder if it had something to do with the structure of like a factory floor mm. like I'm not I'm not saying that it was meant to mirror a factory floor I just wonder if that's where they got the idea um but who knows? Yeah. Who really like, who knows? decided that learning algebra at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning was a good idea? Like, my brain yeah, was not I... functioning. <laughs> you know, they've done, like, more recent research that shows that, like, literally teenagers don't learn well because they their sleep cycles are interrupted. And, like, I am somebody who has always had a lot of trouble sleeping. Mm-hmm. And I have literally never been – I have never, ever, ever done my best work before, like, 10. Nope. Like, ever. Never. No, even to this day. I mean, yeah. So, you know, shout out to my mom. I did get to sleep in quite a bit growing up. Nice. That was nice. Well, that's good. (laughs) I'm glad that you had that experience. (laughs) Homeschooling's very complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that's the... um, Sometimes we have episodes on this show where we're like, wow, that's terrible. These people are nightmares. This is universally bad. But I feel like this is like a really complex issue, yeah. especially now. Like it's such a different environment than from what we were kind of brought up in. And do you know, Lauren, this year is our 10-year high school no. oh my anniversary. God. Oh yeah. My God. We graduated in 2013. I wonder if they're even going to have like an actual event. I said no because, first of all, nobody's reached out to me. And secondly, if you don't know this about us, our high school class, which was like maybe 150 people, yeah, maybe? maybe, maybe 120. Uh, yeah, 20, 120 to 30, I yeah. think. Yeah, literally the singular most apathetic group of people I have ever met in my life. And it was really funny. And we hated each other. Yeah, it was really funny because <laughs> the class above us and the class below us were like, besties they loved they like you know there was individual drama but we always had these like homecoming competitions between like the juniors and the seniors and we i have i always had to do homecoming because it was like a requirement for drama class for whatever reason the one year like the the class below us like really pulled out all the stops and they did so amazing on their float in homecoming and they were like and everybody was like oh my god that's so impressive and our class was like you know they had like the cheer competition or whatever like who can cheer the loudest for this and they kept like trying to make our class cheer louder and we were like 
<laughs> we were so yeah. not interested in each other. It was really funny. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I remember I remember a lot of that. But you know what? I'm glad I went. We met each other. We became friends. True, true, true. Out of mutual spite <laughs> yeah. for things and people. You know, I, I don't keep in ch- contact with most people from my high school. Although, ironically, I am dating someone who went to our high true, school. True, but you didn't know him in high school. I knew him in high no. school. <laughs> yeah, which I will never let him live down. But, you yeah. know, it's... T- Life's complicated and messy, and, you know, sometimes you grew up watching Spongebob, and sometimes you don't. <laughs> yeah, so true. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's a great way to end this episode. <laughs> so... You should have everyone to su- submit, did you watch Spongebob or not? Like, let's pull this. <laughs> that's, a, that's the litmus test for if you had a normal childhood or not. Like, this is how I need, to, I need to tell, can I relate to you? Mm-hmm. do you understand this spongebob reference but also don't worry if you've never seen spongebob it is on amazon if you have amazon prime and you oh. can still watch all those good good episodes also all of them are on youtube but you didn't hear that from me oh, okay good to know well maybe i can redeem my childhood somehow it's it's never it's never too late <laughs> Okay. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on to Impure Rethought. You can find the pod at Impure Rethought on Twitter and Instagram at Impure Rethought. Or you can email us. Well, you can email me. <laughs> um, don't worry. Meg will be back as a guest at imperethought at gmail.com. You can follow me at village underscore witch on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Lauren, do you have anything that you want to plug? No, I don't, other than this podcast is amazing, and you are amazing, and thank, thank you. you so much for having me. This is a topic, or a genre of topics I tangle with daily. Shout out to my therapist. Um, and yeah, I appreciate the discourse. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you for the conversation. Would you like to say our uh, goodbye tagline with me? Oh boy, I'll try. May, may your may, th- may, may. <laughs> Your thoughts, thoughts stay, stay dirty. Okay, wait, let's go again. <laughs> May your thoughts stay dirty. Yeah. Yeah, bye. <laughs>